So what do, th what do three people have in common? One's an ultra runner who took up marathon swimming because his knees were crook and he swam the English Channel, I think from north to south New Zealand and an island in, in New York. A teacher who's worked in an Aboriginal community for four years, has written a book about his favourite football team, Liverpool, and has made a movie script called Mole Cool. And a teacher who enjoys six kilometres running and he likes geography. The answer is the NRL, and that's the only point at which there's similarity because one's a man keen, manly supporter, the other's a storm supporter, and the other is an eel supporter. So, Maddie and Kevin, <laughs> how are you? No, we're battling along all right. Pretty happy with the storm after Thursday night. Yeah, that was a good win, Thanks. wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I was pretty happy with that. I, I actually wasn't very confident with um, Cam Smith and Cam Munster, probably our two key players, were both out injured. Um, but I didn't realise how many injuries the Roosters had. So, um, yeah, so it's, but to win by such a margin was good. Yeah, that doesn't happen too often. Uh, generally, the Roosters and the Storm uh, end up in overtime, golden point. Um, so I was enjoying every minute of it. <laughs> And you have a bit of a banter when you're watching the, show, the, the game as well because you're wordsmithing what you're going to say on Facebook afterwards. Why don't you tell Maddie what you do after that? You've only just met Maddie now. How are you, Maddie? Yeah, well, um, I don't know. You've probably never seen any of my um, match reports, inverted commas. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I always have a good old dig when Storm, when Storm win. Always rip into the opposition. <laughs> and I cop plenty back when Storm lose. <laughs> that sounds about right for Australia. <laughs> yeah. so my, my comment on the on the Roosters game was that uh, actually the players were scheduled to turn up to play the Storm, but they went missing, and I put in a police report for missing persons because the seventeen individuals weren't sighted. We still haven't seen them. That's how bad the scoreline was. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. That's not bad at all. Well, you know, Manly, my poor old team, we've had a lot of injuries, but, you know, we've had two or three games this year and recently where the teams haven't turned up. Talk about a missing persons report. And we're coached by Des Hasler and Des Hasler was one of the greats that, you know, never say mm. die, you know, heart bigger than Farlap and they couldn't stop him and he coaches that way too. So, I'm really shocked. I'm not shocked when we lose. You know, if you lose, you lose. That's fair enough. But when players just don't turn up and I can't believe it, I can't believe that, you know, poor attitude, if that's the right term, when that's all you do for a living. I mean, that's what you actually get paid to do. Like I, mm -hmm. if I was playing for Manly, I'd turn up every week for free. Wouldn't be yeah. that hard. Mm -hmm. uh, Who are you playing this week, Maddie? Um, I think we're playing the Knights. Our season was pretty much gone last week. Good luck to the Warriors. They beat us and beat us fair and square. But we made so mm. many elementary mistakes, it was dreadful. So I think our season's already over. And if we lose against the Knights today, like it's just cemented. We're there with a concrete overcoat, as the mafia used to like, <laughs> liked, liked to used to say. I'll get, that, I'll get it the right way around. Concrete so, Kevin, I think the last time I saw you was at the Canberra Marathon way back in the mid-2000s, and Melbourne hadn't even started their run of winning all those grand finals. No. What do you think their strength are? Strength is at the moment. Uh, actually, just uh, I think that was the Gold Coast Marathon from memory. Would that be right? Oh, yeah, 2006. We were all sitting on the median yeah, strip. Yeah, about right. I was, yeah, I was just, um, I just passing through on my way to Townsville. happened to be marathon weekend, so I did the 10K and then kept driving. <laughs> So uh, what? Yeah. 
So um, back to my intro. Did you swim the English yeah. Channel? Uh, yeah, a few years ago now, 2009. Did you do it once? A long time ago. Uh, once was enough. Uh, but once I did that, I found out I actually ran a ferry. So. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, well, and I could what? share. I could. I could just share a brief ferry story there to back up <laughs> Kevin. And you know, I'll take my hat off, even though it's not here and it's only a manly cap. But I'll take my cap off <laughs> to you for swimming, hat. swimming the English Channel because I'm. I'm not a bad swimmer. I don't think I could swim the English Channel though. And we were there. I went there about thirty years ago with my brother, and we went from. Dover or wherever the hydrofoil ran from to uh, France that night. And it was about, I think it was about an hour's trip or 45 minutes. And we started off and they were big, heavy seas. There were about six people on the hydrofoil. And as the hydrofoil ran into the waves, the waves were higher than the actual hydrofoil, but you couldn't see mm. out because it was dark. It would just make this grinding noise like it was running into the side of a building and you could feel the whole boat slowing down come to a grinding halt and we were beside ourselves we were thought we thought we weren't going to make it that 21 miles across the english mm -hmm. channel because the seas were so rough it was late at night it was cold and i'm sure had the hydrofoil broken up with a you'd have died of hypothermia in about 15 seconds and the only memory from the whole thing that I've got, I just started saying my prayers pretty much about five minutes into the trip till it ended. I was never so glad to get to land in my whole life. The girls that were on the ship, the stewards, are mostly girls, they're walking around offering coffee and drinks and things like that. Mm. They were so relaxed. Everything was just fine and beautiful mm. and wonderful and terrific, like, like it happened every other day. And I just thought we were that close to death. It wasn't funny. So... I don't know how on earth you swam it. Uh, one stroke after the other, and that was about it. <laughs> just, just don't get out. <laughs> Keep going. Was it cold? Was it freezing? Uh, no, I was pretty well uh, prepared for the cold water. I, I weighed a lot more than I do now. I was, if you can imagine, another 15 kilograms on me, and I trained all through a Melbourne winter in Port Phillip Bay. So I actually got over there, didn't feel cold at all. Wow. Come from a Melbourne winter into a, an English summer. It's about the yeah. same. Um, no, it was actually warmer over there. Warmer in <laughs> Sorry. Melbourne winter. So, Sorry. Yeah, I, was, I, was I was being too kind to Melburnians there. Yeah. I was, um, I was ready for anything. Ready in temperature-wise, there wasn't a problem. And then I read on Facebook, Kevin, that you were waiting for the right time. Did you swim from the North Island to the South Island of New Zealand? Um. It was, oh, hang on, I landed in Wellington. Yeah, we went to Wellington, south to, uh, south to north, actually. Right. And yeah, how long did that take? Was, um, uh, a bit over nine hours. Um, uh, the last bit was pretty hairy when the tide changed towards, the, towards you know, getting close to the North Island. Um, I very nearly disappeared. <laughs> you had but, um, other people yeah. with you, but didn't you? Did you have a boat or something? Yeah, oh, you have a boat and everything. But when I say disappeared, it's... Um, the tide turned rapidly that if you, if you can imagine the Tasman Sea and the, and the Pacific Ocean and the gap between the two islands in New Zealand is very, very small by comparison. And when the tides start running, they're pretty furious. Um, and I was, um, I was only 100 metres from finishing and I was going sideways for over half an hour. 
oh. passing little points and um, I was that exhausted. I was going to pass out. I'm trying to dig in. Um, I finally got to one rock, which I you know, cleared the water. And uh, it was only when I got back onto the boat, Philip Rush said, if you hadn't grabbed that rock, the next point you'd have gone. It was out into the ocean. We would have had to pluck you out. So, yeah, we just made it. The thing with um, Cook Strait is that it's not for slow swimmers. You have a very limited gap between the tides where you've just got to hit the water and go for it really hard. Wow. Uh, and I just made it. Hmm. And then you did go to America. You tried for a swim in America? Yeah, I did a couple of big swims over there. It was, uh, one of them was Catalina Island from, um, well, Catalina Island into the mainland at Los Angeles. That's a similar distance to the English Channel. It's sort of the American version of the English Channel. Uh, the water's a bit warmer, thankfully. Yeah. Um, and then a, a couple of years ago was the Manhattan Island swim, one lap around the entire island. Um, and I've hardly swum a stroke since. That was the end. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what are you doing? Boxes. So what are you doing for exercise now? Is it true that your knees caved in after being one of the first Australians to do Western States and things like that? Uh, ultra running? Knees, no. No, knees are fine. Everything, everything else caved in, I think. I just wore out. Right. Literally wore it. got slower and slower and, um, yeah. But I uh, just get out for a bit of a run now. And that's about it. Do a bit of race walking, which I seem to do okay at. That was an old sport I did as a kid. Um, and that keeps the weight off and keeps me out of mischief, basically. And are you, what was your profession again? I was in the fire brigade for 30 years. I retired 18 months ago. Right. Um, so, yeah, and I've always done handyman gardening work on the side, so I still do that. That keeps me busy. Although this lockdown we got here in Melbourne has uh, put a stop to things for a little while. <laughs> yeah, what's that like for you? Uh, well, it stopped lawn mowing and, and whatever for me. Uh, it hasn't cha changed that much. Um, I, I've still I've got a permit for what they call permitted work. I can still go out and do handyman work if it's of an urgent nature you know you can't wait for the six weeks or whatever it is so that's still i'm still doing things like that but the thing that annoys me is just all the sport local sport everything all their sporting activities are all stopped and basically gone and that that's um yeah that's i really miss that unfortunately local football uh just seeing kids playing netball or soccer out in the parks and whatever it's just not happening actually speaking um, of sorry to interrupt so actually speaking yeah. of soccer Maddie had a go at the, um, was it the World Masters in soccer, was it, Maddie? Yes, oh. I've been to the World Masters. That was, that was good fun. Yeah, tell us a bit about that. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, well, firstly, I'm just amazed at Kevin's ability to do all those long-distance things. That's pretty cool. Oh, and uh, I, I, I wonder what, I just wanted to ask him, what's his attraction to those, you know, endurance-type events? Um. Well, that's a good question. Um, I've got a bit of a diesel engine, as in just keep going and going, but um, I was never a sprinter at school. I was always the slowest runner in the sprint, so that's why I thought I'll just try the longer distance, and I think that's just where it started. Um, other than that, I really can't explain what the attraction is. It's just, um, the satisfaction of finishing is always very high, uh, and that basically is about it. <laughs> Wow, no, that's awesome. That's really good. I, I like sort of the endurance events a bit too, except you've got to be you know, really super fit to do them, of course. Uh, well, uh, well prepared. You've got to you know, be very well prepared for it. That's um, yeah, the logistics of these things to cover all your bases. 
make sure your, your food and your drink are okay, make sure you got all the right gear, right people, you know, in your camp. Uh, that all, all adds to it. So what's right. next for you, Kevin? Uh, nothing at the moment. Well, we can, supposedly, we're not, we're not allowed to run uh, more, we're not allowed to go more than 5K from home uh, currently in our stage five restrictions. So I ran 10K this morning, 5K up the path, up the free track, and 5K back again. But after that, I, I don't, I really don't know. We can't. I don't, I don't know what's happening with any overseas events or challenges. Um, you know, we can't fly overseas, so I really don't know. There's nothing planned at the moment, and I know a lot of people are in that same boat. I know a lot of people had their had English Channel swims planned this year. Um, four of my friends that managed to get spots in the Manhattan Island swim, um, they all got hit on the head, and we really don't know what the future holds. Whether next year, the year after, I think it could be quite some time before anything. Gets you know starts to happen again. There are, um, but I'm quite, I'm just quite quite envious of New South Wales and Queensland, and when we look over at New Zealand, they're all attending sporting events and doing things again, and here we are in Victoria stuck doing nothing. And so Sorry, how long I, I don't know. I just got distracted. I can just see that the Gold Coast are up six 0 against Cronulla on Foxtel at the moment. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, well, um, I've got a, few, a couple of Cronulla fans of my friends, so I'll be able to rip into them if they lose. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. But in, 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 you asked the question about what's happening overseas. There's this new concept, Kevin, that I've seen on social media called FKTs, Fastest Known Times. They've been around for yeah. a while. But, um, mm. you know, Killian ran the fell, um, the... the um, the Bob Graham round, and he knocked the record down to 12 hours. I just listened to oh, a yeah. podcast on um, Talk Ultra by a guy called Ian Corliss and uh, a lady called Beth Pascal just broke the women's record around the Bob Graham round. So there's a lot of... Oh, and, the, yeah. and the Pacific Crest Trail record was just broken recently. Now, you've, been oh. the, you've done the Pacific Crest Trail, haven't you? I've run the Angeles Crest 100 miler, and that takes that is on the Pacific Crest Trail. But the Pacific Crest Trail is... Um, as I believe is from Mexico to um, Canada. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do have a friend, their young son at 18 years of age went and hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, which I think was pretty, pretty impressive. And, and one of the Australian runners who's the race director of, or was the race director of the Great North Walk race, um, he's currently riding around Australia at the moment. Um, Dave Burns, remember Oh, him? Dave Burns, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, oh. and, and, yeah, so he's currently, I think he's, he's currently um, hopefully got himself into the Northern Territory. He's out of contact range now. He's got a, he's got a blog uh, and the blog has daily photos and maps and a post of where he is. But he actually, he also walked the Pacific Crest Trail a couple of years ago and I followed what he did oh, as well. Yeah, didn't realise that. Yeah. But, uh, I'm just wondering, with his ride around Australia, how's he going to go at the Victorian border? Well, he's got to get into Western Australia as well. So um, yeah. when he was when he left about oh probably forty days ago, and he and he snuck into Queensland just in time, and he's got yeah. all he went all the way up with 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 a friend of his. I've forgotten the name. Sorry um, about that. And he got all the way up to almost um, he turned around. You know, before after Cape York, came back round, and he's mm. gone across the top end of the Gulf of Carpentaria, and he's ducked in to the Northern Territory and he's heading towards Kakadu at the moment. Um, that's mm. the last time I heard. He'll, he didn't do an update today. 
But you hated the uh, Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah, well, the, the new, new South Wales-Victorian border's been locked and it's going to be locked for a long time, they say. Um, uh, there's 55 crossings all along the border and they've got them all um, all being patrolled. So I, I, I can't imagine how we'd be able to cross that border. Yeah, I suspect mm. you'll have to have an option B. Yeah, you may have to head up, head north in South Australia and cross into New South Wales, up near Pables Peg or whatever they call it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and just dodge Victoria altogether because uh, if he does get in, they'll never let him out again. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless, unless he does his 14 days um, quarantine at his own expense. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. That's, that's the only enough. way, yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. So what have you been doing, Maddie, in Bathurst? Well, uh, speaking of local sport, I just drove back from Saturday morning shopping. They're playing netball. It looks like the soccer's back on around here. But we're lucky in one way because we're in an area where there are no COVID cases. So local sport's back. And that is good to see. A bit like Kevin was saying, you know, you get to see people, you know, just out and about and leading a healthy lifestyle, which is nice. But we'll only have to have a couple of cases that come here from Sydney or anywhere else. And much like the discussion's been going, it'll all be called off again and it'll be stopped. And if I've got the logic right on, you know, this virus, it's just going to keep flaring up. And I know there's bigger waves. They're saying even the second wave's bigger than the first wave for many countries. But what's to stop any number of waves, you know, over the mm. next couple of years, if there's no vaccine. And even if you get a vaccine, it won't be suited for everybody and not everyone will get it and not everyone will be immune. So I, I don't know what the answer is, but it's going to get, I think, much worse. And Melbourne's a pretty good example at the moment that they're under the toughest conditions because they're in the worst mm. situation. But by bringing the world to a halt, I know it does save lives um, you know, for that 100%. But why won't it happen again in three or four or five or six months' time and everywhere, not just Melbourne? Yeah, well, I agree, Matt. That's exactly what, you know, until they can stop the virus, eliminate it altogether, it'll always be there. And why can't it flare up again? Mm, Which really scary. does put an end to, you know, people's sporting interests and even just simple things like you were saying people might have, you know, worked or waited a lifetime to go and swim the English Channel or whatever it is that you want to do. Well, mm. I'd say you can pretty much cancel, I'm with you on that one, everything for the next couple of years because mm. I can't see how we're going to be allowed to, you know, travel internationally and even do those things. Yeah. I don't see the Olympic Games happening next year either. Mm. I just I can't see how they're going to happen, the way things are going. I was thinking about that on one of my runs recently. I reckon you need to decentralise the games where you actually don't have a country that has it, but you have different yeah. pockets in the world and you have sort of like um, COVID protection bubbles for this area of the world. Like Australia might just host the football and yeah. England might just host the tennis and... You know, mm. and something like that. You might get away with that and just abandon the concept of a country hosting the Olympic Games. What do you reckon about that idea? Yeah, I, th I think that's been talked about before, even before COVID came along. Right. Um, yeah, I, think it, I, I remember another idea they had was that uh, they just had the Olympic Games at the same venue every four years. That way, that way we'd be bankrupting all these countries, building new facilities. 
But um, yeah, if, uh, you know, the football, the AFL and the NRL have had their bubbles, so why not the Olympics have bubbles? Yeah, I think it could work. I think it Mm. could work and it might be a way of spreading it out too because, you know, countries have liked the Olympic Games because it's a good ad for them, but it costs billions of dollars to set up. And unless you get all those crowds and people there in future, you're not going to get not only the money back, you're not going to get, you know, all that tourism and all the freebies and spin-offs from it. So there's really not going to be all these countries lining up to do it, surely. Uh, Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. All right. Um, Matt, you dodged my question. Tell us a little bit about um, your experience doing a bit of sport, your football stuff and Liverpool and that. Oh, well, you asked about the World Masters Games and I've had a chance to think about it a little bit. And I went to the World Masters Games, which was, firstly, I went to the one in Sydney, you know, being an older guy and playing with a, an older age group. And the thing that surprised me about it was, well, a few things. The first thing was there's really, it's a really good social experience. So if you just take the age factor out of it or, or however old you are, it's a great place to go and play your sport, whether that's hockey or, you know, football or swimming or athletics or any of those things. Meet other people and have a really good time. And a lot of people just go there for the social aspect of it. But because I like sport and actually like playing, I went there to play the sport and got that as well. So the social side of it is really good. That's number one. Number two, when you play in your own age group, even if you're in the 50s or even if you're in the 60s, I was thinking like, you know, at the time, I think I was about 50 when I played in the first World Masters Games. It was like, oh, yeah, I'll be able to kill these blokes, you know. They'll all be 50 and over the hill and they'll be rubbish and I'll be able to run rings around them well. Uh, no, it doesn't work like that because there are some people you get there and they're 50 years old and you go, shit, he's good and that person's great and they can run rings around me. And it's really, the funny thing is for all the people still playing, yes, there are a couple of slower players because they've aged, um, you know, quicker than you have, to be fair. But what you find is the people that go to those games and keep their health and sport and skills intact, they're as hard to beat as when you are, you know, 18 years old or 20. They're just as hard and they're just as tough and they'll, you know, they'll knock your base over apex, as Rex Mossop would say, as soon as look at you and run on and score that goal and you'll be going, Jesus, where did that come from? So when you get to the top levels in those age groups, whether it's, you know, the over 50s or 50 to 55s or 55s to 60s, it's just as hard as anywhere you've ever played in the world because they're still playing and a lot of them are still fit and they're still skillful. The only thing that doesn't really happen at that age is that, you know, a player can run all day. You can't run for the sort of uh, whatever the time frame is. You might have two 20-minute halves and play for 40 minutes, which is about half a game. But, you know, very rarely will you get a player that can just do that whole game nonstop. Whereas when I was playing, at when I was 42, I could play reserve grade and first grade. That's three hours of football straight, you know, with the breaks in between. And the only time I get tired is in the last 15 minutes of first grade. I could go flat out for three, four hours and extra time. But when you get, you you know, in the over 50s and you're at the World Masters, 20 minutes flat out, that's a long time. And against good competition and tough blokes, you just you can't wait for the oranges. It's like happy days when it's break time. 
But, you know, to, be, to credit them, you know, the good teams are really good and they're actually a pleasure to watch. They don't run all day, but all their skills are still there. Their toughness is still there. Their thinking is still there. All you want is a body that's about 10 years younger than it really is. So you can run rings around people, but that's pretty rare. But the social aspect's good. The actual high-level football of it's good. The camaraderie in it's pretty good. And you get to meet other people. And the third factor I'll just wrap up with is... I met some guys, you know, when they were over there and then they, I actually joined an American team because that's just like me. I've played with lots of different teams. I've played with Greek teams, Indigenous teams, uh, Japanese football teams, Scottish teams, English teams, Australian teams. So I joined an American team that came to Australia. So in the next World Masters, which happened to be in Hawaii, I stayed with them and went and played in Hawaii. So it's a really good way of expanding your boundaries or, you know, your understanding of the world. And you be the one because they've got websites and you can put your name down as a spare mm. and go and join another team. For Because for me, that's the joy of sport. It's playing with all of those other people and all of those other cultures and getting to know them and just having an experience that, you know, you just can't buy that stuff. Mm. Oh, very good. And and you reminded me because I'm the youngest one in the room. Happy birthday, Kevin! Oh, that was two days ago. I'm officially a senior now. <laughs> really? <laughs> got, my, got my seniors card for over sixty and uh, new age well done. in athletics. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you'll be pushing right up there. You'll be able to flog those old people. Oh, dude. <laughs> well, I'm one of the old people myself now. Yeah? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. Did you, did you ever do any Masters games or Australian representation, Kevin, for your running? Yeah, yeah, I did um, World Masters games, as Maddie was just talking about. They were actually in Melbourne in 2002. Um, I did some swimming there. I wasn't swimming much at the time. Um, uh, I actually won a gold medal in the 10K race walk. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And I, That's good. Yeah, I, I always call it my Steve Bradbury medal because yeah, I remember <laughs> Steve Bradbury... It was okay. really, I actually, I did a bit of training for it and I thought I'm only going to embarrass myself because I hadn't raced walk for ages. So I turned up on the day just to watch. Uh, there were some good Mexicans in town for it. Uh, they'd done well in the track walks. Anyway, I'm looking around, it's getting close to starting time. I look around, there's no Mexicans. So I found out later that their cabs didn't come to pick them up. So they missed the race. Um, <laughs> And I looked around and I thought if, if somebody was to win a bronze medal in a slow time, that would really annoy me. So I went over to my car, got my runners out and a pair of shorts, and I lined up in the race because I'd paid my entry. And, of course, it's around the 2K loop, and, of course, you get red cards if you're doing the wrong thing. They have a little scoreboard you go past at the end of every loop. And one by one, a couple of competitors ahead of me were getting red cards. Next thing, one of them's disqualified. Uh, and to cut the long story short, by the 6K mark, the competitors ahead of me are all disqualified. The Mexicans aren't there, of course, and I'm leading the race with 4K to go. <laughs> Love so, it. Uh, I held on to the lead <laughs> and stood on the dais. I even played the national anthem and I got my gold medal. And I'm still laughing about it all these years later. <laughs> that is awesome. But, Kevin, I just want to know, how much did you have to pay the cab driver? Um <laughs> It wasn't too much, actually. <laughs> Excellent. That's so good. I'd hate to see you ripped off. And, uh, yeah. yeah, good, good, good work. Well, look, 
even Steve, Steve Bradbury, if I could say it, even his moment, I mean, he was there, he trained for it, and if everyone else exactly. fell over, it's his yeah, gold medal. And Steve Bradbury said himself, he said, no, he didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> he goes, he got out there, he skated, he didn't break any rules, so why shouldn't he get the gold medal? Absolutely. Well, I'd take it. I'd be thrilled to yeah. bits. He took it in the right spirit, too. He took it, you know, jokingly. So he didn't run around saying, look at me, I'm the best of the world. He just uh, yes. took it in the right way. And he had oh, been well. high up on the world stage prior to that anyway, my understanding was. Yeah, he was, he's pretty good. And um, he, he made his living at making skates. So all the skaters in that field were wearing his skates. <laughs> well, he should have just, you know, made maybe made, made better a better pair for himself. Well, yeah, maybe yeah. he made them all those pairs and gave them to them for free. Who knows? Yeah, they did fall that, over, didn't they? Yeah, they all fell over one by one, crashed into each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh that's there. good. So, are you reading or watching any sporting stuff at the moment? Any of you? Oh, I'm watching the rugby league. I like the rugby yeah. league. I always watch the AFL as well a bit. Some of the rugby, but the rugby at the moment's on a bit of a wind down because you know the broken competition and uh, a lot of a lot of things that have gone wrong with that. But that that'll go through another cycle and come back. But I think the AFL is pretty interesting this year, and also the league for yeah. a couple of different reasons. The AFL's got so many low-scoring games. And teams that, you know, were expected to do well didn't and vice versa. And it's not just COVID-19. That's been a real upside down season there. And it'll be interesting in the analysis of it, you know, in years to come to track back and find out why, you know, why some teams just fail so badly and why teams like even Port Adelaide, I know they got beaten last night by the Cats, but uh, leading the comp until then and they weren't expected to do well at all. Mm. What about you, Kevin? Uh, but, uh, oh, look, the, the NRL's keeping my sanity. Um, I don't really understand union too well. I, I know that the fractured competition means that, you know, there's just five Australian teams playing and South Africa and, and New Zealand are playing amongst themselves. Uh, the AFL, I, I can't, I just haven't looked at it at all this year. Not that I ever looked at it much, but it seems to me there's a game every night. Um, I know they're playing shortened games. And the thing is, I used to like like Australian rules football in the days when they were kicking 20-plus goals per game. Um, I have looked at some of the games this year and, and I just find it boring. It's just, yeah, they're just not scoring. I don't, I don't know what the problem is. The, the way the game's been played, you know, five goals to win a game, uh, that's ridiculous. It may as well be soccer. To, but uh, the rugby league, I, what I like with the rugby league is they're sticking with their Thursday Friday, Saturday, Sunday routine of matches, whereas the AFL seem to be every night, and I can't keep up with it. 12 6 uh, to Cronulla now, too. Oh, they're in front now, are they? 12 6. Oh. <laughs> what do you like about the. Uh, no, let me reverse the question, um, Kevin and Matt. How do you think the game's changed? We're both, we're all the same vintage. What are the couple of uh, things that's changed well, so much? Well, I think one thing, like there's a few new rules that came in this year, which I actually liked, and there's some that I don't, but the obvious one was, you know, the set restarts and the single referee. And I've said for years, the single referee was better because you just got, even if your team lost and there was, you know, so-called poor refereeing, at least it was out of one person's mind rather than two, because I, I, 
I've been so off the rugby league for the last two or three years. I don't even know why I was still watching it till this year. And then when it went back really? to one referee, it improved dramatically because there was less, there's just less bias and they seem to be more consistent. And even though you do get a couple of bad calls, I mean, every team gets a couple of bad calls. Sometimes it may even cost you a game. Uh, it was so bad two years ago. I did a, I did a, like a, an analysis and I, I used to watch the game for the first to five to 10 minutes and I could tell in that five to 10 minutes who was going to win based on the refereeing. And I had a 75% strike rate. So I just mm. watched the game for five to 10 minutes, watched the way the referee was refereeing. And I could pick three out of every four games just on how bad the refereeing was or how biased it was. And I think that's the blight of the game. It's a lot better this year. They haven't fixed up the bunker stuff yet. But, and I don't know why, because they've got replays, they've got slow motion, they've got time to make a decision. And all of this stuff they go on with in rugby league about, you know, speeding the game up and more, you know, hurry up and make a decision. It's just ridiculous. There's players out there killing themselves at a million miles an hour. I wouldn't care if it took seven minutes to decide whether it's a try or not properly, but just decide it and get it right. But they want to make a decision in, you know, eight seconds and sometimes you actually can't tell so I just don't know what this big rush is all about the rugby league players on the field are exhausted I, I would think that they'd think it's terrific that it's taking two three four minutes to make a decision and mm. you don't have to have play for every single second of that 80 minutes for it to be a good game but if you get the call wrong to me that just ruins the game so for me I do like a couple of the changes, but I still don't think the refereeing's as good as it can be. No one plays the ball. No one stays on the spot. They're still forward passes, but they're policing it better than they've done for about five years. And if they just got back to basics and did those well, I think you'd have an even better game. What about you, Kevin? Over to you, Kev. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you covered all bases there, mate. No, I, I do like the uh, set restarts. That, that's exciting from a spectator's point of view. But it, it is it's exhausting the players. So I remember that when they, when they when the season restarted and they brought in this new rule, you'd see after 20 or 30 minutes of play, all the, all the players would be bent over, exhausted, because they just weren't getting the breaks. Um, something that Trent Robinson and Craig Bellamy have all spoken about, and I think it's right, is our... The faster, the, the less breaks. It's making players more susceptible to injury, and and I think every club in the NRL now has got a long injury list. Um, which is, is I'm not sure what the answer is there, but I do like the return to one referee because, um, well, it certainly means you won't have that, you can't have that farcical incident happen again, like in the grand final last year when they called six again, and um, yeah. No. No, that, that was uh, terrible. That was, and that, that, that to a, me, spoils the game. I mean, even yeah. if your side wins because you mm. get that, you know, bad call or that good call, for me, I get no pleasure out of winning off a bad call ever. I mean, there's plenty exactly. of people who do, but if you don't win fair and square, for me, mm. there's no point in playing any game. Yeah, true. But um, I, I just think last year's grand final was an embarrassment to the NRL. Uh, and I, I've got no alliance to either side. I just like to go and see a good game. Um, yeah, but it just the and when the the ball hit the trainer early in the game, uh, what stupid rule <laughs> yeah, gives gives the ball back to the team who infringed? You know, 
Um, that was a real blight on the whole game. But those, those two things can't happen now. Um, the NRL did quietly change that rule about hitting the trainer. Um, they did it late, uh, late one Friday night before Christmas, so no one paid <laughs> much attention to it. A bit like the politicians when they've got a bad policy to announce, they do it on Friday, Friday night. night when half the press gallery at the pub. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the what single referee now means we won't have that idiotic six again situation. But uh, well, yeah, having the one referees work well, I think. And and could could we just you know I've said this for a couple of years now, but of course it goes nowhere, and it could work in a a real court of law as well as you know the sport of rugby league or anywhere. And I just call it there's a better name out there somewhere, but the common sense law. And the common sense law would be this: there's all the rules of the game, like you're saying in that grand final. And yeah. even though technically a couple of times the referees actually made the right decision by the book, it wasn't the right decision in the game and it cost, yeah. you know, the Raiders were diddled on that and I'm like, you, I, I, I don't care who won. I just wanted to see a good game. But if you had the common sense rule that the yeah. referee could invoke, he could just say, yeah. I'm invoking the common sense rule, which is, you know, that affected exactly. the play or that didn't affect the play. So I'm not ruling on it or I'm going to rule whatever the right decision <laughs> is. And that rule could supersede all other rules. And it's just common sense. Common well, sense, well, yeah. well, well, guys, Zoom's going to cut us off in a minute. So right. Right. <laughs> I've only got That's 40 minutes. So... Really good to have a chat. I think we're going to call this the Maddie Plew and Kevin show. Kevin, what are you like on three o'clock on Saturday afternoons most week? <laughs> oh, it varies, but at the moment I'm free because of our lockdown. I'm usually at a an athletic event on a Saturday afternoon somewhere, but um, our whole season's been cancelled this year. So, yeah, so Saturday afternoons are pretty free, I guess. All right, Maddie, what about you? Yeah. Well, I'm free, but usually a bit later, from about 3.30. 3.30 or 4 suits me a little bit better because I try to go for a walk before then just 